Let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 7. I've entitled the morning's message, Living Water. We'll pick it up and read really just the first 37, 38, and 39 for now. Now on the last day of the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, Now if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, and those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. I was supposed to do John chapter 7 on Wednesday evening. We had um, my good friend Pat from Florida bringing um, his whole family up here uh, on Thursday, and uh, we were sort of overwhelmed with giving, getting everything together, and I asked Josh how he was feeling, if he thought if he could pull off a study, and he said he could. Um, not knowing that I believe it was the Lord all along, and I'll tell you why. Um, I got up early, I couldn't sleep on uh, Wednesday night, so I was up early, and I thought I can't go back to sleep, I might as well get up and get some study done because it's going to be a, a busy week. So I went down and um, started doing some research on uh, this feast here, which is the Feast of Tabernacles. And I was doing research. I found some interesting things I never knew before. I found out it was the only Jewish feast that Gentiles are invited to. And I thought, I don't know if I remember that or not. And then I found out, I was curious, I wonder when the Feast of Tabernacles is this year. The Feast of Tabernacles, as it says here, the last day, the great day of the feast, the Feast of Tabernacles lasts for eight days. And it runs from October 13th through October 20th, which is this morning. So we're studying the Feast of Tabernacles and it hap- we happen to be studying it on the last day, the great day of the feast. And if I would have did the Bible study on Wednesday, we would have been in chapter eight this morning. So I believe it was the Lord all along because now we're giving a Bible study and I don't hold these things as coincidences at all. To be able to stand up and say, okay, we're gonna have a Bible study on It's an eight-day period, but we're zeroing in on one day, and in Israel right now, they're celebrating the last day of the feast. Because for seven days, the first day and the last day are a holy convocation to the Lord. No work is done. So this Bible study to me is a little bit more personal. I got a great big smile on my face with, you gotta be kidding me, that we're actually gonna be doing this study on, this study is is the 20th, oh man, what are the chances? So... Um, that is the Feast of Tabernacles this year, and um, it is ending. It is ending today. I believe the Lord really does direct our steps, and He does go before us. The Gospel of John is divided into five sections. Chapter one, verses one through nineteen. Um, John lays out the deity of Jesus Christ. Chapter two, we read it to John the Baptist, two through four. Uh, where he's presenting himself to the world. 
Now, as we're in chapter 7, from 5 to 12, we have the opposition. At least three times this morning we'll read, they wanted to take him and kill him. And um, so we're in that period of time where it's also going to cause division. And we're going to look at that. So this section, if you go back to chapter 7, verse 1, we'll make our way up through this time. Um, Just a little bit of background that I will spend more time in depth when we get into it. Um, Is the Israel people in Jerusalem would have lived in what they called, the reason they call it the Feast of Booths, is they would live in a, oh, a five by five or a six by six shanty. And they would put leaves on the top and it was so they could look, look out. And they would actually go camping in Jerusalem. They would build it next to a synagogue or in the neighborhood. And the Jews would live in booths. And it was to remind them that for 40 years, that's how they lived. Um, that God had provided for them. Uh, one of the three feasts every Jewish male had to attend uh, that lasted for eight days was the, the Feast of Tabernacles. The other one was, the other two were Pentecost and Passover. So these three, if you were a Jewish male, you were required to attend. And unless I forget, um, this was, of all the Jewish feasts, this was the only one that Gentiles were invited to. None of the rest of them. This was the only feast that Gentiles, especially guests, were invited, literally, to come to the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, If you look at chapter 7, Uh, Things that I want to point out here is verse one, after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee for he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. So here's the opposition. They were looking for their opportunity. We'll see this more clearly in chapter eight where they're willing to put a woman to death who's a prostitute and the law required that but it also required a man to be there too. He wasn't. But they didn't care at all about the woman. They were interested in one thing, setting a trap so they could accuse Jesus so they could kill him. So the first thing we read here, now the Feast of Tabernacles was at hand. And his brothers therefore said to him, depart from here and go into Judah that your disciples also may see the works, what you're doing. Um, There's sarcasm here. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. Um, If you do these things, they're saying, we triple dog dare you, basically. Uh, Show yourself to the world. Now, the sarcasm we understand because of verse five. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Let me just uh, mention a little sidetrack here on two of his brothers uh, one was James, and the other one was Jude. In Acts chapter 15, James not only became a believer, but when the first Gentiles got saved, they didn't know how and what to tell the Gentile believers because the early church was all Jewish. 
And now we have Gentiles getting saved and there were certain very legalistic Jews that said, okay, you're a Gentile, but you're still gonna get circumcised. And so they were putting these uh, requirements on them and it was the first time that they had to have a large meeting and what do we do with the Gentiles? So it was Peter and Paul, uh, Paul that got up and said, look, and Peter, look, I was there when Cornelius got saved and the Holy Spirit fell on him and um, the Holy Spirit fell on him and they were all amazed that a Gentile could get saved. So he's recounting this in Acts chapter 15, say we need to not put any other restrictions on the uh, Gentile church except no sleeping around, no fornication, and don't eat blood. <laughs> and that was it. Now this should tie into last week's study because that's when we are talking about communion and eating my flesh and drinking my blood. Go back and think how absurd that would be for a Jew to even think so. They actually made that a requirement for the Gentiles. No fornication, no messing around, and don't eat things that are strangled because the drop blood isn't drained. And he says, besides this, we have no other commandments. Be free, enjoy the Lord. God has blessed you with his Holy Spirit. So that would have been James, and when a decision had to be made, it was James, the brother of Jesus, who stood up and said, okay, this is what we're going to do. Now call him the pastor or call him the head elder. It doesn't really matter. But when a decision and a final word had to be spoken, it came from James. James would also be after Stephen. um, uh, Let's go to Jude, uh, the other one. That would be the book before Revelation was also a leader in the early church. So we read down in verse five, for even his brothers did not believe in him. After the resurrection, they believed in him and were actually leaders in the early church. Then Jesus said to him, my time has not yet come, but your time is already, always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it. That is their works of evil. You go up to the feast, for I am not yet going up to the feast, for my time has not yet come. Now, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. This phrase here, my time has not yet come, first appears in John 2, when he was talking to his mother Mary, and he will say this seven times. Now, that's significant, because the Gospel of John, again, is written around seven I am statements and seven miracles. We'll get into next week um, one of the um, I am statements where I am the light of the world, but that, that'll be next week. Um, so verse nine, when he had said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, where is he? And there was very much murmuring among the people concerning him. Some said, he's good. Others said, no, on the contrary, he deceives the people. However, no one spoke openly of him because they were afraid of the Jews. 
Now, about the middle of the feast, Jesus, he went up to the temple and he taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, how does this man know letters, having never studied? And Jesus answered and said to them, well, my doctrine is not mine. But he who sent me, if anybody wants to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether it is from my own authority. He who speaks for himself seeks his own glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keep the law? Why do you seek to kill me? So he comes right out, he knows their plans, and now he says, I know what you guys are really up to. You're just waiting, you're just looking for your chance. I know what you want to do. You want to kill me. And now he comes right out and tells them. And the people answered and said, you have a demon, who's seeking to kill you? So they're in denial. And Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work and you all marvel. Moses therefore gave you circumcision, not that it was from Moses, but from the Father, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Here the Lord healed the guy on the Sabbath day, and they get all bent out of shape out of it, and they says, well, you guys are circumcising people. If it comes on the eighth day and it lands on the Sabbath, and basically the Lord's saying, you're not being very fair in your judgments because you do it. Uh, do not judge according to appearance, but judge according to this judgment. Now, in verse 25 through 36, the Lord is talking about his departure. Then some of them from Jerusalem said, is this not he whom they seek to kill? But look, he speaks boldly, and they don't say anything to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this truly is the Christ? However, we know where this man is from. But when the Christ comes, no one knows where he is from, which wasn't true. Then Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple, you both know me and you know where I am from and I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true whom you do not know. But I know him for I am from him. And he sent me. And then they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. And many of the people believed in him and said, when the Christ comes, he will do more signs than these which this man has done. Question. In other words, when the Messiah comes, could anybody want to be just like this? He'll do miracles and signs. How can this not be the Christ? And then the Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him. And the Pharisees and the chief priests, who want to kill him, by the way, they said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer, and then I go away who sent me. And you will seek me, you won't be able to find me, for where I am you cannot come. And then the Jews murmured among themselves, where does he intend to go to that we shall not find him? 
Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What is this thing that he said, you will not find me, and, and where I am, you cannot come? So in the first part of our gospel, um, let me give you a little background as we look at our, at our text verse here. Opposition, clearly they want to kill him. Um, does the Messiah come from the Galilee? I don't think so. He's the son of David. We're going to be reading that down in verse 42. Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David, from the town of Bethlehem? This guy's a Galilean. He can't be the Messiah. So the friction is building. Um, two sides. But the first verse here, on the last day, the great day of the feast. Let's just stop there. And um, have you turn back to the book of Leviticus, chapter 23. And I want to draw your attention to 33. In these chapters, we have the feast of Passover, the Sabbath, unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost, trumpets, Day of Atonement, that would be Yom Kippur, which has just happened. And then in verse 33, we have the law with the first five books of Moses describing what the Feast of Tabernacles is going to be all about. So we're reading 33 to 44. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel, saying on the 15th day of the seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. On the first day, it'll be a holy count convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. For seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. And then on the eighth day uh, you shall have a holy convocation. If you're taking notes, this is where John 7 verse 37 is that last day, the great day. So that's what we're reading about here. On the eighth day you will have a holy convocation And you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is sacred assembly, and you shall do no customary work on it. These are the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, to offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering, a grain offering, a sacrifice. Notice here, a drink offering. I'll elaborate on that. Everything on its day. Beside, besides the Sabbath of the Lord, besides your gift, um, because of your vows, and besides all your free will offerings which you give to the Lord. On the 15th day of the seventh month, when you gather up in the fruit of the land, you shall keep the feast of the Lord for seven days. For the first day there shall be a Sabbath rest, and on the eighth day a Sabbath rest. And you shall take for yourself on the first day, and I'll I'll elaborate on this too, fruit of a beautiful trees, branches of a palm tree, the bough of a leafy trees, and willow of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days." You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a statute forever in your generation. 
and you shall celebrate it in the seventh month. And you shall dwell in booths for seven days. All who are native Israelites shall dwell in booths. Uh, that your generation may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Moses declared to the children of Israel the feasts of the Lord. Now, it talks about these four natural things that they were to gather. The four, we call them the four species of, this, of Sukkot, uh, representing uh, the blessing um, of, nat, of, of, of the nature that God provided. The first is pronounced lulav, and that would have been a green closed fond of a date tree. That was one of the things that they would bring. Number two, a hadas. Uh, that was twigs and leaves from a myrtle tree. Number three, twigs and leaves from a willow tree. So you can imagine you got branches in your hand that you're holding. Um, and number four, uh, a, a tag, which was a lemon-like fruit. And it was fruit from a, a citron tree. Basically, it looks like a lemon. Imagine a round lemon, but then it has sort of a crown to it that went up. It would not have been smooth like a lemon, but it would have had ridges all the way around it. And it was yellow. And um, uh, then they would build their booths, and for seven days... This is a learning object for the kids on how they were delivered from Egypt. They would go in for a week and they would sleep outside. And they'd put little cracks with the branches that they would have laid on top so that they could see the stars. Now this was a teaching example, but also more importantly, God never wanted them to forget. So it would be an annual event that is closing today. Today is the last day in Israel of the Feast of Tabernacles, and we're teaching on it. Blows my mind. And um, every day during this time, it talked about a drink offering. Let me just get sidetracked on that. What would happen is every day, the priest would leave the temple steps, and they would walk down. The temple uh, would have been the, the high point, one of the high points in Jerusalem. And they would walk down through the city of David, um, to the Pool of Siloam. I'm gonna show you a picture of the Pool of Siloam as it looks today. It was just discovered in 2004. The Bible often talked about it. And we will, you see those stairs there? The pool is on the left-hand side. There's a wall there. The wall did not exist. The pool would have extended another 50 yards um, towards towards the left. But where we have our Bible study is a section right here, and then you can see sort of steps. So the people sit on the steps, and we uh, have this Bible study uh, right at the Pool of Siloam. This is an A spot. And it was only legend. Critics of the Bible, of course, did not believe in it, and all of a sudden, we discover it. 2004. And so when we, we go to this place, I'm friends with the guy at the gate. He usually 
recognizes me and we get, we get caught up. Uh, he's a caretaker. caretaker. This would be at the very lowest spot of the city of David. So when you got down to the very, very end, you would have had the pool of Siloam, and then you would walk back up. So here was the routine that the priests would do. Every day, for seven days, they would take a pitcher, and they would walk down to the pool of Siloam, get some water, they would walk back up to the Temple Mount, to the steps, and they'd go like this, and they would pour it out. And then that was to remind them that the Lord not only provided manna from heaven, but we have two million people we're talking about. And they had to be watered. If you're taking notes, 1 Corinthians 10.4 says that rock that was split open that provided water was Christ. So wherever they went, the rock went and provided that water for them. So the second day would come. What did they do? They'd get up, they'd walk down the pool of Siloam, come back up, pour it over, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, seventh day. They would do the same thing. And it was meaningful. They were not to forget that that was a miracle, just as the manna uh, would have been a miracle. And on the eighth day, now let's go back to um, Gospel of John, chapter seven. On the eighth day, it was a little bit different. On the last day, the great day of the feast, okay, they would have walked down to the pool of Siloam, but they would not have taken any water. And they would come back up, and they would go like this, and nothing would come out. Because it was signifying that God is gonna keep his promise and bring them into the land that he promised them. The manna stopped when they entered into the promised land. And the land was watered, and therefore um, the miraculous water out of the rock also ceased. So, um, you know, fiddler on the roof, tradition. (laughs) So if you're Jewish, you're doing this your whole life. I mean, you know the routine really, really well. This is to be done from generation to generation. Why? So they'd never forget. You were, you were in Egypt. The picture here is we're never to forget what the Lord has done. Good place for an amen. So how do we remember that he delivered us out of the world and brought us into the light? We remember that by the Lord's Supper. So do this in what? Remembrance of me. Don't forget the main thing, the main thing. It's all about being saved, being brought out of the world. Don't ever forget it. And don't ever think about going back. Remember Lot's wife. And so we are human beings. We have a tendency to forget. I think especially the days in which we live because we have so much to do that the Lord could actually get put on the side or we get leave off with our devotions. I don't have time today. And that's what we have to be careful for that we seek second the kingdom of heaven. No, no, no. We seek first the kingdom of heaven. And he says, if you'll do that, he says, all these things will be taken care of. It. You don't worry about it. You, you put me first and I'll, I will be taking care of the rest. So 
we leave for a week from Tuesday, and we will be in Jerusalem for a week, and uh, we will walk down to the Pool of Siloam. Go to John chapter 9. Another event happened at the Pool of Siloam, um, verses 1 through 7. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. This has to be totally amazing. Can you imagine never having any idea what anything looked like? Some people lose their sight, but to be born with no sight. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And the Lord said, neither, this man nor his parents, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, and the night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with his saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. Now we know the meaning of the word Siloam. It means sent. Uh, The priests were sent to the pool of Siloam to come back with the water. The blind man was sent to the pool of Siloam. So he went and washed and he came back seeing. What I wouldn't give to have a conversation with this man. This is blue, this is red, and uh, those are clouds. Oh, by the way, that's the sky over there. And everything just had to be overwhelming for never being able to see, and all of a sudden, there it is. It's sort of like being in the womb. Can you imagine being in, in the womb? All you know is uh, voices, faint voices, and, and um, you're surrounded in this water. You recognize mom's voice, the dad's voice. And then one day, the water breaks. <laughs> and you come up, and you get smacked down the bottom. We call that a wake-up call. And all of a sudden, your world has changed. You see for the first time. So what happens when we're raptured out of here? Well, when that happens, it's like being born. Uh, Things, when Paul saw it, when he was taken to the third heaven, he says, forget about it. I can't talk about it. And he doesn't talk about what he saw. He talked about what he heard, what makes it all more interesting to me. I'd be thinking, what does it look like? What does it look like? No, man, it's what I heard. (laughs) And he said, it's unlawful for me to even try to put it into words. So I think of those things when I think of this man here. Never seeing, ever, ever, ever. And all of a sudden, everything is there. And he's trying to take it all in. What an event. So, therefore, the neighbors, verse 8, and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, isn't this, the, isn't this the blind beggar? And some said, uh, there he is. Others said, well, it looks like him. But he says, no, it's me. Therefore they said, how were your eyes opened? And he answered and he said, a man called Jesus made clay anointed my eyes and he said, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received my sight. He said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. And they brought him who was formerly blind to the Pharisees. Now it was the Sabbath. 
Now again, one of the key points here is opposition. Now on the Sabbath, when Jesus made the clay and opened the eyes, then the Pharisees, who asked him again how he had received his sight, he said to them, he put clay in my eyes, and I wash and I see. Verse 16, therefore some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he did not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. And they asked the blind man again, what did you say about him? Because he opened your eyes and he said, he's a prophet. But the Jews, um, because this was done on the Sabbath, were determined to kill him. Now, I don't usually advertise movies, but this is what I'm going to. Um, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation. Um, U-S-P-H-I-Z-I-N and however you pronounce that. What this is, is a movie, this word means guests. Because part, let me, let me just read the back of this. Powerful, touching, and amusing, Yusefzin, I'm, I'm saying it wrong, and then in parentheses it means guests. Is a heartwarming and soul-stirring film, big-hearted Moshi, uh, is down on his luck. He's a rabbi. So he and his uh, loving wife, Mele, uh, pray passionately for a miracle. Their prayers are answered. In the form of a large sum of money that mysteriously lands on their doorstep, but the great gift leads to the arrival of two uninvited guests uh, named Moshi and Mali are left wondering Uh, Have they found God's favor or is this just a test of their devotion? Let me tell you about the two guys that show up at guests. They're ex-cons. They had just busted out of jail and they don't know where to go. One guy says, don't you have any relatives in Jerusalem? Well, I got an old friend who I used to hang out with there and they used to get in a lot of trouble together. Well, he became a rabbi but he only knows him from his old life. So he knocks on his door. But it happens to be on the Feast of Tabernacles. He doesn't have enough money to build his own booth. And so his wife says, why don't you go pray? Has your wife ever told you that? (laughs) Why don't you just go pray? And so he does. And he comes home and somebody, and I can't give you too much of the story away, slips a lot of money under the table. In the meantime, he's shopping for those four items that I told you about, but he doesn't have the money. Now the picture here, you can see it. That's, if, if you can see that, that's what the citrus looks like. And your devotion is proven by the quality of this particular fruit. When they were inspecting the fruit, when the rabbi comes in, it says, well, the ones for 25 and 30 shekels, they're over there. That's in your price range. This one's special. They even had an eyeglass on that you look at diamonds on to check this one out. A thousand shekels. And so this is the one everybody wanted, but who's got a thousand shekels? Well, all of a sudden, Moshe does because the money slipped under the table. So he goes in and he says, Where's the diamond? That's what they call it. Where's the diamond? 
And they said, Boshi, this is over there, go about $25, $30 shekels or over there. He says, no. And he lays down $1,000. And he takes it home. Who's waiting for him when he gets home? The two ex-cons. But the whole idea is that, and I, I've had people that were Jewish people in the community, wealthy businessmen, a good friend of mine for many years. And um, I was talking to him one day, and it was over Tabernacles. And he says, Dwight, I want you to come out tonight. We, we set up our, our, um, our booth, and I want you to see it. I know you're interested in these things. And I said, I, I think I will. So I went out to their house, and sure enough, they had a five-by-five I don't know, the way they show it in the movie is imagine, um, for you framers who know how to frame a wall, you have your 16-inch or 12-inch studs, and then basically a piece of four-by-eight sheets of of plywood, and then a leafy roof so you can open it up. And I highly encourage, Judy and I watched this on Thursday night, and it, if you want to have uh, more of a Bible study and you actually can actually see how it's taking place, um, it's just, just worth it. Okay, enough of a commercial for the movie. Let's go back. But um, it is a great, great story. Um, let's turn to uh, John chapter 6. Go back one. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. Okay, now in John 6, verse 31, where we were last week, it wasn't thirst, but it was hungry. Here was the other miracle that God provided besides water. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone thirsts of this bread, he'll live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. And again, I said, verse 38 is the key to understanding what he's talking about here. He's the one who came down from heaven not to do his own will. So it's identifying with Jesus, not literally eating his flesh and blood, but taking on his mind. Think like he thinks. Not your will be done, but his. Are you willing to do that? Well, some were and some weren't. The majority of them said, that's not why we're here. We're here because, you know, we got the free meal the day before. And uh, so they left because it wasn't about them. It was about the Lord and becoming like him. All right. Um, I'm going to dwell. Let's go to verse, uh, explain what's taking place here. The last day, the great day of the feast, they would read Isaiah chapter 44, verse 3, on the last great day of the feast. So I'm going to have you turn to Isaiah chapter 44. But I have to set the stage here. Because remember it says the first day and the last day was a holy convocation, no work, This is time for prayer. But even your prayer, as they read this, there would have been a holy hush that would have settled. People wouldn't have been jabbering. They would have been talking. No, this was a holy moment, and it was the last day. 
And Isaiah 44, this is what they would have read. I will pour water on them who is thirsty and floods on my dry ground. I will pour my spirit, now we have a connection, of your descendants and my blessings on your offspring. So they would have been reading this, go back to John 7, and at the moment that they would be doing that, the other thing that they looked forward to was, Lord, when are you gonna send the Messiah? This would have been a part of the prayer on the last day. So imagine that you're praying for the Messiah to come, and it's quiet. And then we read, Jesus cried out. Remember, it's quiet. And all of a sudden, you have one man crying out. If anyone thirsts, they were reading Isaiah 44.3, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Well, where does it read that? As the scripture said, again, we want to connect the old with the new. This is a fulfillment of Isaiah 44, verse 3, along with Deuteronomy 18, 15, Isaiah 12, 3, Isaiah 43, 20, and the one we just read, Isaiah 44, 2. And then we have clarification. Um, it was during this time Jesus cried out, and now in verse 39, but he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive for the Holy Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. He was talking about an event about not just water, but the emptiness that's inside the heart of a man and what happens when he's born again of the Spirit. And with that, I'm gonna have you turn to Acts chapter two for the fulfillment of that and read verses one through four. Jesus has ascended into heaven, told his disciples, it's expedient, necessary, that I go to heaven. Because if I don't go to my Father, then I can't send the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he will teach you all things. So, the day of Pentecost, by the way, that would have been one of the feast of the three required to go to. Uh, Acts 2 verse 1, now when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven of a, a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and there appeared to them divided tongues of fire, one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What the Lord is talking about in John 7 is being fulfilled here. Look at verse 38 in this chapter. Peter preaches the gospel. And as they're listening, first of all, they thought, well, you guys are full of of new wine. You're drunk. And... um, it's nine o'clock in the morning. Peter says, they're not drunk. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. It'll come to pass in the last days that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. 
Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. That's what's being fulfilled here. And now it has come. So when they heard all this, and this is something that um, I think only the Holy Spirit can really bring that conviction. Um, verse 37, when they heard Peter preach the gospel, they were cut to the heart. We often say here, remember, no conviction, no conversion. There has to be repentance. And they were cut. What, we killed our Messiah? What? How could we do that? And they were cut when, that, when the Holy Spirit brought that truth to them. John 1.11 says he came unto his own. His own received him not. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wanted to gather you under my wing, but you would not. What do they want to do instead? What's, what is the section all about? They wanted to kill him. And one of the main reasons they wanted to kill him we'll get into in chapter 10, I think, because they would lose their position and their place. They were following now Jesus instead of them. And for this reason, they sought all the more to kill him. Verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and Peter said to them, to the rest of the apostles, better and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repentance first, born again second, and that day 3,000 people have the beginning of the church. Well, as long as we're here, I know I say this a lot, but it's important in the days at which we live. What should a church structure look like? Well, it should look like Acts 2, verse 42. And I say this often, but in these days it's worth repeating. The structure of the church should look like this. Bible studies all the time. They continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine. Then fellowship. Then going out for lunch. No. Breaking of bread. Uh, Communion. Do this in remembrance of me, and then prayer. Those four things. Nothing more, nothing less, and you can do that. I, look, I read this and go, I can do that. I can do that from the time I get saved until the time the Lord takes me home. I don't have to make it fancy. I don't have to make it flashy. I don't have to stand up and tell you, boy, are you going to get something good out of this? Because that's not true. What we're going to find out is what you're going to get from this is division, and it's going to come from in your own household. That's what we should be honest in telling people about when we come to Christ. Another good place for an amen. All right, let's go back to um, chapter 7, verse 40, and we'll finish out the chapter. John 7, pick it up in verse 40. Therefore, whenever there's a bit therefore, remember what's it there for? Because of what he just said about um, the Holy Spirit. Therefore, many from the crowd, when they heard it, saying, truly this is the prophet. Others said, 
This is the Christ. But some said, will the Christ come out of Galilee? Don't you guys know the Bible at all? Does not the scripture say that the Christ is from the seed of David and comes from Bethlehem where David was? Well, guess what? What they didn't know. Well, he's a Galilean. No, he was born in Bethlehem. And Herod sent his henchmen down and killed all the male babies, two years old and younger. An angel appears to Joseph and says, get out of here and go to Egypt. And he stayed in Egypt until Herod was dead. And then said, okay, now it's time to go home. But they didn't go back to Bethlehem. That's what he grew up in Nazareth. But where did he come from? He came from Bethlehem. Shepherd's Fields, one of my favorite places. So there was division among the people because of him, and some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. But what I want you to sense as we go through these chapters, that it's going to escalate. As we get closer to 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12, it intensifies to the point where they want to kill him. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 10, just on a personal note. Some of you are dealing with this right now. If you haven't, you will be. And if you're not, you're probably not being the witness you ought to be. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace on earth. What about Christmas time? Don't we sing peace on earth and goodwill towards men? Well, what that really means is that God is at peace who has made peace with him. And he marks him as being good because Christ is now in him. That's the correct translation of that. If, if it was anything but that, and I look around the world, okay, Jesus came to bring peace on earth. Tell him that in Haiti. Two days ago, they kicked the UN out. The UN is responsible for 10,000 people dying because of cholera. And they just booted them out. They're keeping a small remnant of the UN there as they try to transition the government. I had a lengthy phone call with Bastia, and he was explaining um, this whole departure and... Um, I can't get too graphic here. Let's just say that the UN soldiers took great advantage of the Haitian women, and I'll leave it at that. And that's what they were known for. The UN in Haiti, that's primarily what they were known for. And um, they, they were not um, uh, in a peacekeeping role uh, whatsoever. So we read here, The Lord says, don't think that I've come to bring peace. I've come to set a man against his father. Well, surely, that's breaking up the family. The Lord would never do that. No, but if you take a stand as a believer and you put the Lord first in your life and um, come home and say, hi, Dad. I gave my life to Jesus today. And um, uh, that is very Politically incorrect. How much time I got? I got time for a little story. One little story? Just a little story. (laughs) The reason my friend Pat is up here from Florida is 
along with his family, and the reason the whole family came up here is because once a year they have alumni honorariums being honored, people who graduated from Oshkosh University and have gone out and have inspired and influenced many, many people. And one of the nominees was Pat, uh, my friend, and he, uh, we were all down in Oshkosh, it was suit and tie, dress up, and, and um, there was 10 people. And of the 10 people that got up and spoke of all their accomplishments, it was only Pat who said, well, I have to say this, that when I didn't know what was going on, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And nothing has ever been the same since that. So I owe a lot to UWO, but Jesus Christ. Nobody said Jesus Christ. And the rest of it, let's just say it was very politically correct. I'm surprised. I think they let him get away with it because... After he said that, they mentioned, oh yeah, by the way, he's run um, Boston Marathons, both under three hours. So I think they left him off the hook because (laughs) he he ran and had accomplishments. But his main accomplishment is he does missionary work like we do in Haiti. He does it in Cameroon. And um, he's a nurse. After he was 25 years uh, employed in Jacksonville, Florida, of the 8,000 people, he was the employee of the year. And again, when he received that award, he gives up, gives his, gives his testimony. He's not ashamed of the gospel. And then, after he graduated from that, he goes off and gets a nursing degree, and he wants, he's bored in the States. If he's not in Cameroon, he's not a happy man. And he says, Dwight, if it wasn't for the UN in Cameroon, we couldn't do our work. So it's a little bit different over there that actually sort of keep the peace. So anyway, I got to go down memory lane because that's my old stomping grounds. And um, he doesn't care. Uh, Jesus Christ changed his life and he's not ashamed of the gospel. And the verse that goes along with that is, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. However, you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. So let's read this verse again. Don't think I've come to bring peace. I have not. If you're gonna take a stand for Jesus Christ, you are gonna be marginalized and criticized. And I don't have to tell you, it's getting worse every single day. Uh, The gay lesbian community, you can talk all day long about them, nobody will blink an eye but mention Jesus Christ. And um, that is politically incorrect and becoming more and more so every day. Somebody want to give me an amen on that? Just so you know what you're in for. So let's go on. A daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's foes will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not pick up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. So the Lord is setting the scripture straight. Let's go back and we'll finish up John 7 verse 45 to 53. 
Then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, where have you brought him? And the officers answered, no man ever spoke like this man. And the Pharisees answered them, are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? But the but this crowd that does not know the law is cursed. They don't know the scriptures like us. Then look who speaks up. Nicodemus. He who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man before he hears him and knows what he has done? They answered and said to them, Are you also from Galilee? Are you also with him? The answer at this time is yes. I think Nicodemus has saw the light and has become a believer. And they say, search out uh, for the prophet. Has any risen out of Galilee? There's no prophets that have ever come out of Galilee. They didn't know the scriptures themselves. You see, Capernaum is named after Nahum, a prophet. Where did he come from? The Galilee. So they don't know their own scriptures and what they said there was not biblically correct. They answered and said to them, are you also from Galilee? Search the scriptures. For no prophet has risen out of Galilee and everyone went to his own house. But it is building. Close this morning by having you turn to Zechariah. Chapter 14. This is how the book of Zechariah is going to end. Remember I told you that the Feast of Tabernacles was the only one that Gentiles were invited to. The whole purpose of the booths was to have a guest and feed them, treat them kindly. If you you were upset with somebody, you had to let it go on the Feast of Tabernacles. So picking it up in verse 16, these are the last five verses of the book of Zechariah. This would be um, at the um, end of the trib and during the beginning now of the the millennium, verse 16. Now it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to what? To keep the feast of tabernacles. You don't have to be Jewish. One of the promises to the churches is you will rule and reign with me over the nations. So don't feel too bad if you don't get to go to Israel in a couple weeks. You're gonna be going there year after year after year after year. And it shall be that whichever of the families of earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them there shall be no rain. Let's say the family of Egypt, if they will not come up and enter in, they they shall have no rain. They shall receive the plagues with which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to keep the feast of tabernacles. This will be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of the nations that do not come up to keep the feast of tabernacles. In that day, holiness to the Lord shall be engraved on the bells of the horses. The pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. 
Yes, every pot in Jerusalem and Judea shall be holiness to the Lord of hosts. Everyone who sacrifices shall come and take them and cook in them, and in that day there will be no longer a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. And that's how the book of Zechariah ends. I'll end with this question. Are you thirsty? More importantly, are you content? Are you happy? Since something is possibly missing in your life, why am I here? What's my purpose? And what do I have to actually look forward to? Would you answer that question in the quiet of your own heart and be honest? And if any of that hasn't brought contentment, then Jesus said, if any man thirsts, let him come to me, and he will fill that void with himself. Not only fill it, but he said it'll actually gush out, and you will not only be content, but you'll be able to be used as an instrument to touch other people's lives. Amen? Let's stand with prayer. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your timing, Lord. How your hand, as your word says, you will direct the life of a person who follows you. I know, Lord, that you had this study on this day for this reason. And it does increase our faith to know that you're alive and well. And that if anybody is discontent, thirsty, trying to fill the void with anything except you, know that you're the only one who can. You're the bread of life. And you're the one who has the living water. And it's as easy as repenting of our sins and, Lord, inviting you to come into our life. And I pray for that person this morning, either here or watching live stream, that they'd be honest with their spiritual condition and know that they could have that thirst quenched by none other than you. So we thank you for this day, Lord. We commit the rest of the week to you. In Jesus' name, amen. And feed them. Treat them kindly. If you, had, if you were upset with somebody, you had to let it go on the Feast of Tabernacles. So picking it up in verse 16, these are the last five verses of the book of Zach, Zechariah. This would be... Um, at the um, end of the trib and during the beginning now of the, trib, of the millennium, verse 16, now it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to what? To keep the feast of tabernacles. You don't have to be Jewish. One of the promises to the churches is you will rule and reign with me over the nations. So don't feel too bad if you don't get to go to Israel in a couple weeks. You're going to be going there year after year after year after year. And it shall be that whichever of the families of earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them there shall be no rain. Let's say the family of Egypt, if they will not come up and enter in, they they shall have no rain. They shall receive the plagues with which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to keep the feast of tabernacles. 
This will be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of the nations that do not come up to keep the feast of tabernacles. In that day, holiness to the Lord shall be engraved on the bells of the horses. The pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yes, every pot in Jerusalem and Judea shall be holiness to the Lord of hosts. Everyone who sacrifices shall come and take them and cook in them. And in that day, there will be no longer a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. And that's how the book of Zechariah ends. I'll end with this question. Are you thirsty? More importantly, are you content? Are you happy? Since something is possibly missing in your life, why am I here? What's my purpose? And what do I have to actually look forward to? Would you answer that question in the quiet of your own heart and be honest? And if any of that hasn't brought contentment, Then Jesus said, if any man thirst, let him come to me, and he will fill that void with himself. Not only fill it, but he said it'll actually gush out, and you will not only be content, but you'll be able to be used as an instrument to touch other people's lives. Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your timing, Lord how your hand, as your word says, you will direct the life of a person who follows you. I know, Lord, that you had this study on this day for this reason. And it does increase our faith to know that you're alive and well. And that if anybody is discontent, thirsty, trying to fill the void with anything except you, know that you're the only one who can. You're the bread of life. And you're the one who has the living water. And it's as easy as repenting of our sins and, Lord, inviting you to come into our life. And I pray for that person this morning, either here or watching live stream, that they'd be honest with their spiritual condition and know that they can have that thirst quenched by none other than you. So we thank you for this day, Lord. We commit the rest of the week to you. In Jesus' name, amen.